Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Hydro One Limited's first quarter 2021 analyst teleconference. At this time, all participants are in a listening mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star one on your telephone. As a reminder, the call is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your host for today's conference, Mr. Omar Javik, Vice President, Investor Relations at Hydro One. Please go ahead. Thank you, Shannon. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us in Hydro One's first quarter earnings call. Joining us today are our President and CEO, Mark Poeska, and our Chief Financial Officer, Chris Lopez. In the call today, we will go over our first quarter results and then spend the majority of the call answering as many of your questions as time permits. There are also several slides that illustrate some of the points we'll address in a moment. They should be on the webcast now, or if you're dialed into the call, you can also find them on Hydro One's website in the Investor Relations section under Events and Presentations. Today's discussions will likely touch on estimates and other forward-looking information. You should review the cautionary language in today's earnings release and our MDNA, which we filed this morning regarding the various factors, assumptions, and risks that could cause our actual results to differ as they all apply to this call. With that, I turn the call over to our President and CEO, Mark Poeska. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us this morning. As we continue to work through the pandemic, we are encouraged by the vaccine rollout and the prospect of returning back to normal in the near future. However, we remain vigilant as we are still in the midst of a third wave of the pandemic in Ontario, and the virus continues to surge globally. Despite the recent increase in case counts in Ontario, Hydro One fulfilled its responsibility as an essential service and maintained its field work programs. Our robust processes and safety measures resulted in a low COVID-19 case incident rate compared to the Ontario and the Canadian national averages. Safety protocols, good governance, and revised work processes and methods have allowed us to complete our work programs while keeping our employees safe. We will continue to be diligent in the following these protocols and look forward to a bright future when we can ease up on the restrictions. I'm very pleased that Hydro One continues to make progress in working for and with our stakeholders. As Chris will discuss in detail in his remarks, our financial results remain resilient and stable. We continue to demonstrate our leadership role in the electricity sector in Ontario. We continue to execute on our operational plans and progress through our work programs. And most importantly, we continue to support our employees, customers, and communities. In the first quarter, we solidified our position as the provider of choice and the steward of the electricity sector in Ontario. The independent electricity system operator requested us to develop a new transmission line between Chatham and Lambton. 
the new 230KV double circuit transmission line, which, if approved by the OEB, could be in service by 2028 and would provide electricity to support rapid agricultural growth in the Windsor-Essex and Chatham areas. We see a lot of potential for economic activity in Ontario, which will result in a sustained strong demand for electricity. The award for this new line further demonstrates the trust that is placed in us by the people of Ontario to build a better and brighter future for all. We also continue to strengthen and operate our existing assets. Capital investments continue at a pace that is in line with our stated objectives, and our teams have maintained focus on transmission and distribution reliability to ensure families, businesses, and essential services have the power they need. Hydro One continues to support its customers and communities as they navigate the pandemic. As referenced in the last call, Hydro One launched Connected for Life, a promise that helps customers stay connected to safe and reliable power while we help them access support. Since it launched, the support provided to customers was four times higher than during the previous quarter. During this quarter, more than 32,000 customer transactions were processed for various financial assistance and flexible payment options. Similarly, during the quarter, we launched the Small Business Pandemic Relief Program to provide financial assistance and flexibility to our small business customers. Combined with the Government of Ontario's COVID-19 Energy Assistance Program for Small Business, our new relief program helps customers with up to $3,000 in financial assistance. We continue to see our efforts being rewarded with strong customer satisfaction scores. During the quarter, our residential and small business customer satisfaction came in at 91% versus 87% in the first quarter of 2020. Last call, I spoke about the release of the government's provincial budget, which included a commitment of an additional $1.3 billion over 27 months to help reduce global adjustment costs for commercial and industrial customers. I am pleased that this has come into effect January 1st and has resulted in a bill savings of 14 to 16% on average for commercial and industrial customers. At the same time, at Hydro One, we continue to work hard to reduce long-term costs for our customers. We've all learned the value of robust IT services, especially during this challenging period. And I'm pleased to report that we repatriated some of our IT services functionality and welcomed back a number of employees to Hydro One. In addition, we signed a new master service agreement for the remainder of our information technology services with Capgemini Canada. The agreement allows us to further reduce overall IT costs, increase efficiency, and maintain a high level of service. Our collective agreement with the Society of United Professionals expired on March 31st, and we are currently in the bargaining process with both parties remaining committed to reaching a resolution. To respect the process and both sides, we will not be making any specific comments. 
In general, as with all of our union partners, our priority is to advance our corporate strategy and our shared goals, such as safety, diversity and inclusion, and supporting our employees through the ongoing challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our overall focus on cost control will feed into our upcoming joint rate application and ultimately will benefit all of our customers. We are close to finalizing our application and expect to file it sometime in the third quarter of this year. The application will contain our view of the capital investments required to maintain and improve the quality of infrastructure so that Ontario can continue to have safe, reliable electricity to support a brighter economic future. We undertook extensive customer engagement, developed evidence supported by independent studies, and leveraged a robust asset management approach to develop our application, which will meet the long-term needs of customers and the system, as well as support economic growth in Ontario. We are also pleased that our efforts to control OM&A costs in our business since our last filings will be shared with our customers in the upcoming rate filing, further ensuring affordability. Subsequent to the quarter, we were pleased that the OEB rendered their decision regarding the implementation of the Deferred Tax Asset Recovery. This decision puts to rest the regulatory back and forth over the past few years on the matter. We value our constructive relationship with our regulator and are pleased with this outcome. Chris will deal with the financial impact of the decision in his comments. And finally, I'm pleased to report that the board has approved an increase to the dividend by 5%, reflecting our resilient and stable performance last year. This continues the track record of an annual dividend increase since the initial public offering in 2015. Chris, over to you. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I hope you and your families are safe and doing well. In terms of our financial results for the quarter, we saw an increase in earnings per share to $0.45 compared to $0.38 last year. The main drivers of higher earnings this quarter were OEB approved rates for the transmission and distribution segments and favourable weather, which positively affected peak demand in the transmission segment. This was offset by a modest increase in operating costs resulting from higher work program spend as well as higher depreciation and higher taxes. Our first quarter revenue net of purchase power was higher year-over-year by 8.8%. This was reflective of OEB-approved rates for 2021 in both the transmission and distribution segments. Specifically, for the transmission segment, the rates reflect the approved transmission rate filing received in the second quarter of last year. We also experienced colder weather during the quarter, with year-over-year peak demand up 1.1% in January, 3.5% in February, and 6.4% in March. This favourable weather resulted in an increase in year-over-year peak demand during the quarter of 3.6%. Electricity distributed to Hydro One customers was also 9.1% higher. However, nearly 45% of that increase was attributed to the inclusion of the acquired local distribution companies, or LDCs, Peterborough and Aurelia, which were not included last year. As a result, transmission revenues were up by 12%, and distribution revenues, net of purchase power, 
was 6.5% higher. On the cost front, operating, maintenance and administration expenses were higher by 6.4% year over year. Higher OM&A resulted from the acceleration of certain work programs this quarter, including vegetation management, station maintenance, information technology, and customer program spend. OM&A was also higher due to the acquisitions of Peterborough and Aurelia, which closed in the third quarter of 2020. These were partially offset by lower corporate support costs. Consistent with previous quarters, the financial impact of measures taken by Hydro One to support our customers, including the Pandemic Relief Fund, financial assistance and increased payment flexibility, extending the Winter Relief Program, and the Small Business Pandemic Relief Program, which was launched in January 2021, were not material. With respect to COVID-19 costs, we've incurred incremental operating expenditures of approximately $4 million related to the purchase of additionally, additional facility-related cleaning supplies and personal protective equipment this quarter. With the inclusion of this $4 million, the company is now tracking approximately $64 million in COVID-19 related costs. The depreciation expense was higher year over year due to the increase in capital assets, which is consistent with our stated capital investment program. On financing, we saw a slight decrease in interest expense in the quarter due to lower weighted average interest rates on short-term notes and long-term debt. We also capitalised more interest as compared to last year due to a higher amount of assets under construction in the first quarter of this year. Income tax expense was $26 million for the quarter compared to $15 million last year. The increase in income tax expense was primarily due to higher income before taxes. The effective tax rate for this quarter was 8.8% versus 6.1% last year and consistent with our previous guidance of 6 to 13%. Subsequent to the quarter, the OEB rendered its decision and order regarding the recovery of the deferred tax asset or DTA amounts allocated to ratepayers for the 2017 to 2022 period. In their decision, the OEB approved recovery of the DTA amounts plus carrying charges over a two-year period starting on July 1, 2021 and ending June 30, 2023. Per the decision, the amount approved to be recovered totals approximately $257 million, of which $165 million is attributable to the transmission segment and $92 million to the distribution segment. The recovery portion of the decision is expected to result in an annual increase in funds from operations, or FFO, of approximately $65 million 135 million and 65 million in the years 2021, 2022 and 2023 respectively. The ongoing impact is expected to further increase funds from operations by approximately 50 million in 2022 and will decline over time. With the OEB decision on the DTA, our effective tax rate guidance changes to 14 to 22% over the next five years with the most significant impacts over the 2021 to 2023 recovery period. As a reminder, the change in the effective tax rate will be net income neutral. Moving to investing activities, the company placed 157 million of assets in service in the first quarter, a 30.2% decrease compared to the prior year. This was largely a result of the lumpy nature of placing assets into service. The year-over-year decrease related primarily to the transmission segment 
which had substantial completions in 2020. In the distribution segment, we saw a year-over-year increase of 11.6%, due mainly to higher work, high volume of work on customer connections and higher volume of wood pole replacements. Capital investment for the quarter was $527 million, which is a 41.7% increase from the first quarter of 2020. The increase was mainly due to a higher volume of refurbishments and replacements for stations, lines, and wood poles. Higher investments in multi-year development projects for the transmission business, the construction of a new Ontario grid control centre in Aurelia, and higher investments in information technology projects further contributed to the increased spend. As Mark mentioned earlier, the board approved a 5% increase in our quarterly dividend to 26.63 cents per share. Lastly, we continue to be committed to and affirm our guidance of 47% earnings per share growth through 2022. Between the increase in our dividend and reaffirmation of our guidance, Hydro One has and continues to demonstrate a resilient business strategy and stable fundamentals. Together, they allow us to support our customers and communities while delivering positive result, financial results. I'll stop there and we'd be pleased to take your questions. Thank you, Mark and Chris. Uh, Shannon, could you explain how you'd like to organize the Q&A polling process? Uh, and in case we aren't able to address your questions today, my team and I are always available to respond to follow-up questions. Please go ahead. As a reminder, to ask a question, please press star then 1. If your question has been answered and you'd like to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Our first question comes from Linda Ezergalis with TD Securities. Your line is open. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you, um, and congratulations on a strong start to the year. I'm wondering if you can help us understand um, a little bit more context around um, other aspects uh, of your joint transmission and distribution filing that you're preparing. Um, you know, is some of the, the capital plans that you mentioned uh, in your prepared remarks related to um, some sort of economic stimulus uh, spend expectation in the province in Canada? And um, how might we think of the evolving uh, regulatory framework uh, and process um, uh, as it relates to this filing as well evolving. Thank, thanks, Linda. It's Mark here. Um, so, so as we prepare for our JRAP, um, we are looking at uh, updating our investment plan to reflect both the the growth that uh, that um, we're seeing in the province, as well as uh, uh, the needs of our assets. So we've gone through several rounds of uh, investment planning, and we've gone back out to our customers twice to, to test that with them and test their appetite for different levels of spend. And we've gotten good, positive feedback from our customers. Um, in addition, we've developed evidence uh, through third-party uh, independent studies 
that, uh, that we will help to support our position on that. As far as economic stimulus um, in, in you know, federal or provincial stimulus, the way we see the impacts on us is that stimulus is driving the economic growth in the province. And, uh, and part of what, uh, what, what I announced with uh, an additional line down in the Leamington area is part of that. So we do see, see positive impacts on Hydro One as far as you know, as the economy grows and as uh, as people need more electricity, that uh, that means more assets that we need to put in into service. So, um, on the regulatory framework, the uh, the process is unchanged. Um, the the uh, the regulator and uh, 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 new leadership um, is focused on actually becoming a top quartile regulator, and they just released a uh, their strategic plan, which we were really pleased to see because it actually you know makes uh, commitments on the OEB for their performance as well as for utilities. So, uh, so um, you know, I think it's a positive outcome from the new leadership and aligns with the OEB modernization report that, uh, that actually the chair of the OEB helped to author. So um, we're not seeing changes in that regulatory process. That's helpful context. Thank you. And, um, you know, you have uh, recently announced a collaboration with uh, Electra uh, in Hamilton. Um, it's um, interesting to see your evolving relationship with the LDCs. Uh, I'm wondering uh, if you can give any sort of update on the potential for other sorts of collaborations and maybe uh, even outright uh, amalgamation uh, and consolidation uh, as a result of uh, some of the uh, discussions you're having and how might any sort of future acquisitions be accommodated in your transmission and distribution filing, if at all, at this point? Yeah. So. so um as we've said in the past, that uh, the LDCs are our customers, so we are supporting them through that. Um, but we we have, through previous acquisitions and through Peter, Rural, and Aurelia, we are demonstrating that we can drive benefits and efficiencies for co customers. So we have started to engage with LDCs on their willingness to uh, to transact. Um, you know, for this year, we are still in the process of integrating both Peterborough and Aurelia, and and those will be fully transferred over um, within uh, the next quarter. When I when I say that, that means that uh, customers will see Hydro One on the top of their bill um, at that point. Um, so so we're continuing to to focus on that. Um, any LDC tuck-ins or acquisitions will not be part of JRAP because they will be outside of the JRAP process. Um, our joint rate application, and we will have to file for separate applications um, for any future acquisitions. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Our next question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, just a question on capital allocation. So, you know, if we go back, Hydro One's always had a very strong balance sheet and a strong funding plan. You know, the DTA decision further enhances that. So, you know, when you're taking a look at, you know, the uses of your capital and, you know, the potential incremental capital from the DTA decision, like how are you thinking about, you know, the, the investing in growth, buyback, dividends, and how do you kind of weigh all those? Yeah, great question. So, so yes, the DTA gives us more more cash, um, and particularly in the in the front end, couple of years as we we collect the past amounts. Um, so our FFO 
uh, it does look attractive for the next couple of years, and then it drops down. But there is a ongoing benefit on cash flow from the from the DTA. Really, the way we're looking at it right now is uh, is using that cash flow uh, to help support our organic growth in our in our business and and help to fund that. And so uh, at this point, I don't see a, a large change in capital allocation. Um, but Chris, if you want to weigh in, uh, go ahead. I think you covered it, Mark. I think really what it does, uh, Rob, is it gives us greater flexibility on organic growth. So um, you know, we'll use that, that firepower to look at um, the flexibility with, with regards to JRAP, with regards to further transmission uh, in the province. Uh, and LDC acquisition, we had always stated that you know, we could uh, grow rate base at 5%, uh, earnings at 5%, a dividend per share at 5% for the foreseeable future with no need for equity. This really shores that statement up um, and, and provides additional room for further growth uh, you know, in that next period up to 2027, uh, mainly LDC uh, consolidation. Uh, if there is any additional capacity, we'll look at, we've looked at this in the past, but it hasn't been our hasn't been the, the preferred option up until this point, uh, but we'll look at a non-course issue of bid. So if there's excess capital, we won't keep it, um, but certainly we would, we would uh, make our first priority uh, expanding organic growth where we could uh, without the need for new equity. All right, that's helpful. And just a follow-up question there. So, you know, the, the buckets of capital that you, you kind of mentioned there were, were largely on the regulated side. So how are you thinking about your you know, potential to do some unregulated or quasi-regulated uh, investments, whether that's electric chargers or the telecom business or other kind of uh, value extension uh, opportunities. Yeah, yeah, so, Chris, yeah, go ahead, Chris. You run the unregulated business. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah, so, Rob, I think at Investor Day we said, look, uh, and, and over the course of the last year is that regulators going to continue to be the main part of our business. There's no, no doubt about that. Um, we would absolutely not go below 90%, which is a, a bright line test with S&P before you, you change your ratings. Um, and right now it's 1% of our cash flow or, or, or less than 1% is unregulated. So the areas we are going to continue growing is uh, energy management services, which is really around things like batteries and helping some of our larger industrial customers manage their uh, electricity consumption needs. Um, the second area is telecom, and, and we're continuing to do that. And we're seeing that, that uh, progress, and we'll continue to invest in, in that side. Now, you've recently heard that, that um, announcement on grow broadband faster. That means a lot of things. It could mean growth in the regulatory side. It could mean a combination of regulatory and growth in our telecom business. There's a number of different aspects to that, but we'll be looking to participate wherever we can and, and ensure the government is successful in rolling broadband out. Um, but really, the focus is going to be you know, keeping that uh, regula unregulated side to less than, less than 10%, more likely 5, Rob, and it will be focused on EMS, Energy Management Services, Telecom, and you might, we have got Ivy as that uh, EV charging business, but I'll just remind you, they are very small today, so even if they double every year, you know, we wouldn't get to 5% uh, until three to five years out, so it's still very, very small. All right, I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you for your uh, answers. Our next question comes from Andrew Kuski with Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. I, I guess the question really revolves around others in the market. 
and, and ask the question in part just with what the Canada Infrastructure Bank has done or is planning to do with the Lake Erie connector that was the Fortis project. And obviously, um, the federal government's made other statements about transmission connectivity across the country, you know, not directly in Ontario, but things like the Atlantic Loop. So how do you think about federal government involvement in projects, whether in Ontario, uh, as with the Lake Erie Connector, or anything prospectively to try to spur things along? Yeah, you know, we do see transmission as one of the, the key aspects of achieving long-term climate goals for, for the country and, and for North America, quite frankly. And, and I think you're seeing that in some of the stimulus and with the federal government's uh, stated goals around net zero by 2050. And so, um, so we are looking at and, and, you know, considering and working with the IASO and others in the sector on, on how do, how does transmission interconnections with other provinces play into the long-term planning for the, the, uh, the system in Ontario. It's early days on it, Andrew. Um, the the um, government has kicked off a long-term energy planning process where, where they've asked uh, industry on what type of governance and what that should look like, and we fed back into that. I would foresee coming out of that process more clarity on on uh, how Ontario is going to tie together climate plan along with energy plan, which which um, leads into a long-term energy plan with more clarity on where transmission plays into that and what interconnections look like on that. You know, so you know, at this point, we're not looking at at merchant transmission lines. Um, uh, we are, uh, you know, we are um, happy with the with the directions we've got from the ISO for lines like Wasigan like the reinforcements we're building in, in, uh, in southwest Ontario, and those are um, in our regulated business. Okay, that's very helpful context. And then maybe, maybe continuing on the, the theme from stimulus from federal government and to spur on initiatives, are there opportunities with your broadband network and your fiber network that you have across you know, transmission towers, and especially the remote community connectivity that you have, to really expand that business you know, to a greater degree and, and really help that unregulated segment on your telecom business? Yeah, it's a great, great question. Um, you know, Chris alluded to the Building Broadband Faster Act that the government actually passed in April, and, uh, and there's two parts to that. One is how do we remove barriers? So on the operational side, how do we make it easier for attachments and pole replacements to accommodate attachments and things like that? And then on the other side, um, the government is, is committed – $2.8 billion essentially for, for subsidies for different parts of the province. And from my understanding, they plan on running a, a, a reverse auction type process where entities will bid in on how much uh, subsidy do they need to make it economic in there. So we are looking at through our telecom business how our fiber backbone may help facilitate that and play into that. And, and where there may be opportunities to grow that business as a result of that. Okay, very helpful. Thank you. Our next question comes from Julianne Dumoulin-Smith with Bank of America. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. This is Darius Saad for Julian. Thank you for taking my question. Um, just wanted to ask, uh, in the context of the JRAP that you'll be filing later in the year, uh, since it does cover a five-year period and we're seeing a little bit more 
talk of uh, potential inflation, um, maybe just talk about your ability to manage things like OM&A in the context of a, a five-year plan and, and how that relates to your expectations to achieve your ROEs. Sure, sure. Um, you know, we've, we've had a good track record of managing OM&A and, and productivity, and we continue to, to do that, and we expect to be able to do that through the next rate period as well. So, you know, in general, we look to offset about $50 million a year, which is, is uh, essentially uh, the, the rate of inflation. Um, once we get approved for our JRAP, there will be productivity stretch factors as part of that that the OEB will, will put on us. Um, but we uh, we believe that we can uh, we can achieve those stretch factors and continue to to uh, uh, drive out productivity savings through the next rate period. So the, as as we've experienced through the current rate periods, and one of them is five years, and one of them is three years, um, having longer periods uh, better enables us as a as a utility to optimize uh, between years so that we can drive out those savings over the long run and. As I said in my remarks, the benefit to the customers is at the end when we get rebased, those improvements that we've driven out go to the benefit of the customer. So it further reinforces the, the, the overall value of an incentive rate making process that we have here in Ontario. And if I could just follow up on uh, direct COVID expenses, I, I think I heard Chris uh, quantify that number as $64 million to date. Has there been any update from the OEB in terms of how they're thinking about it, guidance as far as your ability to uh, recover uh, any of those items incurred to date, or are you still uh, seeing those as not likely to be recoverable? Yeah, based, based on the staff opinion that we got in December, we're, we're, we're still seeing it's not probable for future recovery rates, and, and we haven't uh, recognized any regulatory assets on the, on the books. So, Right now, we're 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 assuming that that we won't be recovering um, anything in in rates. Uh, we still haven't heard back from the OEB. We do the, the the guidance they gave us was spring springtime. So you know, I do expect that the OEB panel will give some guidance on that. Uh, you know, in the near future, um, the staff opinion is is that it's the staff opinion. It's not the final decision, um, and we're still awaiting the final decision. So, but. To, to date, um, we're not uh, we're not recognizing anything as regulatory assets as a result of COVID. Great, that's it for me. Thank you very much. Again, to ask a question, please press star then one. Our next question comes from David Quazada with Raymond James. Your line is open. Thanks. Morning, everyone. Um, my first question here, just on the. Um, uh, the, the Chatham-Lambton uh, line and I guess the general uh, potential for future opportunities in southwestern Ontario, um, I'm just interested in uh, does the positioning of that line suggest to you how the ISO is thinking about future investments and, and I, I believe there was a study of bulk supply needs west of London that was supposed to come out this spring. Just wondering if you have any expectations there of what that might include. Yeah, so so you um, you're, you're correct. So they they did issue us a, a letter to move ahead with the Chatham to Lambton. Um, uh, you know, last year or the year before, they they issued a letter from from Chatham to Lakeshore. What this study, previous studies anyway, showed is that that there is another phase, a phase three required in transmission, 
based on the projected load forecast there. Um, the ISO hasn't given us any direction on that, on where they, they, uh, they're going with that, but, uh, but that's what the, the previous studies have shown is that there isn't a third phase required for, uh, for support west of London. Okay, great. Thanks for that. That's, that's actually all I had. I'll uh, get back in the queue. Our last question comes from Maurice Choi with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thank you, and good morning. Um, I just wanted to bring it back to the JRAP and touch on the age and condition of your infrastructure. And obviously, the cost of maintaining reliability will rise with the system's age. Um, so presumably, your JRAP will highlight some of the uh, drivers to be replacing aging assets. But to that end, can you characterize, I guess, the condition and age of your assets, uh, both TX and DX, and how does that factor into your application? Sure, sure. Um, so when we look at from an equipment health index perspective, about a third of our assets on both sides are um, are uh, at end of life, and and um, we don't just base end of life on age. We base it on condition and experience and and design things like that. But about a third of them are at end of life as we prepare our our joint rate application. Um, we are looking at how do we uh, how do we improve the condition of our assets and overall improve reliability to uh, to our customers. So so we did as I said before went out to customers uh, through two rounds. We developed an investment plan. We went out. We tested that with customers to uh, test their appetite for different spend levels if it meant different outcomes as far as reliability goes. Um, and they gave us feedback. We adjusted our, our investment plan, then we went back out again. And what, both times we were pleased that, that our customers are supportive of our need to invest in our assets to, uh, to improve the reliability and keep our system safe overall. Um, the other thing we've, we've experienced is as we see additional growth and customer connections within the rate period that weren't expected, we've had to reallocate some of our sustaining capital to growth, um, which has put further pressure on the condition and the age of our assets that we will need to address during JROP. Great, and, and since you touched on you know, customer response and customer growth, I guess with regards to the JROP, you know, obviously with the ongoing pandemic um, and with the third wave in Ontario at the moment, how do you approach low forecasts for your application and adding to that, what measures are there in the regulatory framework that may allow you to revisit these forecasts during the next regulatory period? Yeah, so, so we, will, we will base our application, which we expect to put in, uh, in Q3 of this year, we'll base it on the current load forecast that, uh, that, that we get from the ISO as well as the studies we do and independent third-party studies. Um, and that will be updated during the process before uh, before the OEB uh, rules on it. So what, what I'm referring to there is we will gain more experience coming out of COVID on what load looks like uh, prior to finalizing what those load impacts uh, uh, look like for JRAP and how we will set the load expectations through that five-year period. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that does conclude our Q&A session for today. I'd like to turn the call back over to Omar Javit for any further remarks.
Great. Th thank you so much, Shannon. Uh, the management team at Hydro One thanks everyone for their time with us this morning during what is a busy period. Uh, we appreciate your interest and your ownership. If you have any questions that weren't addressed in the call, please feel free to reach out and we'll get them answered for you. Thank you again and enjoy the rest of your day and continue to be safe, please. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This does conclude today's program and you may all disconnect. Everyone, have a great day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.